There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. engine light on take the guesswork out of your check engine light with o'reilly veriscan it's free and provides a report with solutions based on over 650 million vehicle scans verified by ASC certified master technicians and if you need help we can recommend a shop for you ask for o'reilly veriscan today oh, 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 O'Reilly. auto parts Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, your home for deer hunting news, stories, and strategies. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon, and this is episode number 153. Today in the show, Dan and I are discussing our planned summer deer projects in detail. We're examining what we need to get done, why we're prioritizing these projects, and how we're going to complete these tasks as we prepare for the upcoming deer hunting season. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast brought to you by Sitka Gear. And today on the show, We're going to be covering a wide variety of topics related to the projects and tasks that we are taking on this summer in preparation for our upcoming deer hunting season. And joining me today is a very special guest. He's a man of many words, but few fingers. He's a man who has had, (laughs) he has had two kids and he has also went number two while in a tree stand. My co-host, the one, the only Dan Johnson. Wow, you really built me up for failure. <laughs> you, you make me sound like I'm some something that's just going to blow people. You know what he's going to tell you today is going to you know change the way you think. But people are going to leave this podcast and they're going to say, "Holy shit, I could do that job." Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Do you like that one? Oh, that was a good one. He has two kids. But goes number two in a tree stand. I like that. That's a t-shirt right there. That is a t-shirt. <laughs> How you been, man? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm excited. Uh, excited to have a podcast, just you and me, to catch up a little bit, to talk about some of the stuff that's coming up. Um, I think there's lots and lots going on, or will be soon, in our in our deer hunting world. So uh, it's going to be good. Right. Kind of like a little mandate. This is our mandate. We need a mandate. Yep, we do. We need a mandate. I'm glad this is happening. So, what's new with you? <laughs> like, I'm trying That's so hard. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm trying so hard not to say something about my kids or my family to make the one or two people who don't like that. Uh, but I have to. <laughs> That's, That's all right. <laughs> so, it, it, I don't know. It's just a funny story. It's the first, and it's the first thing that came into my mind last night. I'm. 
typically my son's real active in the bathtub, right? So I'm sitting there giving my kids a bath and all of a sudden he stops what he's doing. He looks down and he starts getting kind of weird and looking weird and daddy poop, poop. <laughs> and for anybody who's had to clean poop out of a full bathtub, oh, it sucks, right? man. So I, cr- I quick grab him and I set him on the toilet and he, you know, he's laughing this whole time because that's what he does. And I, so I, so I have this naked soaking wet baby or toddler. I'm trying to hold him on the toilet that we don't have the training seat out yet. I'm saying, okay, poop, poop, poop. Cause I don't want him to poop in the bathtub. Right. <laughs> and he's sitting there just laughing. I go, okay, poop. And every time he pooped, <laughs> he would, he would make this face like, like, I don't know, like he's growling. <laughs> Because he knows the face to make when you poop, yeah, but that's, not that's perfect, that, right? But not the function. <laughs> so I held him there for like fifteen minutes, or like eh, maybe maybe ten minutes, and then I put him back in the bathtub. And so he never went. He never went. And he didn't go in the bathtub. Then he didn't go in the bathtub. Well, hey, could have been worse than I guess, right? <laughs> right, right. So that's just like a short portion of how my day actually goes. Man, I'll tell you what. The life and times of Dan Johnson. It's a wild world over there in Iowa. Yeah, yeah. However, man, I got I got my bow like ninety percent set up. I need to get my arrows set up now. Oh, I'm 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 jacked to start really sh- start shooting this summer. Yeah, I, I'm doing the same thing. I've been out shooting a lot, and that is, it's just it's nice to shoot any time of year, but especially once you get into these warm temperatures where it's comfortable, you can just stand out there and like. Right. You know, I know where you live and where I live, both of us, we can see like the farm fields and stuff. And so yep. when the crops start popping out, that's when I really start getting amped. Like this is coming soon. Yeah, We're going to be in a tree stand before you know it. The velvet rut is coming. And that's yeah, right. it's just, it's good to be out there sitting or standing and shooting and thinking about all that stuff. I'm, uh, I am right there with you. So what do you, how, let's see, you got your bow set up and ready to go. I do. Well, did you take your bow on a bear hunt or did you use a rifle? So I brought my bow with me out there um, to potentially bear hunt with and to potentially turkey hunt with, but I didn't end up using it for either. I didn't get to go turkey hunting at all. And then on the bear hunt, we ended up using rifles. So okay. we've not gotten a workout with a bow yet, and I've been out turkey hunting, but I actually haven't really chased. I've just been guiding so far. I went out twice with my nephew, like I told you last week. Yep. And then I went out this past weekend a little bit with my friend and wanted him to get one. So he was out there, and I didn't even bring my bow with me. Um, but probably in the next week, I'm going to get out by myself with the bow and try to try to tag one of these old gobblers. But they've been a little bit finicky over here. Yeah. So What what buddy did you go hunting with? I was with Josh. Oh, you mean Furter? <laughs> yes, Furter. Oh, Furter. Good memory. Good memory. <laughs> I know. I uh I'm going to run that home until he probably gets pissed at me. Uh, the next. <laughs> he's, so he's such a nice guy he that is. you almost feel, you know, you know, that nickname was a joke, but you almost <laughs> feel bad calling him that name. I don't feel bad. <laughs> okay, good. Then I won't feel you bad. You know, what, some exciting news about Josh. Can I tell you this? This is, this is public, so I think I can, I think it's fine that okay. I say this. Um, so Josh has been helping out with Wired Hunt for a while now, and yep. he just recently accepted a position with the quality deer management association he is I now saw that. yeah he's a regional I, I might get the title wrong sorry josh i think he's a regional director um for the great lakes region managing different things going on with the branches and the organization in michigan ohio and indiana so 
man, I'm super excited for him. I think that's going to be a great position, and he's going to do an awesome job. So if you're listening now, here's my plug. <laughs> if you're listening now and you're not a member of the Quality Deer Management Association yet, especially if you're in Michigan, Ohio, or Indiana, join because yeah. uh, Josh will be your fearless leader, and that will be pretty cool. So speaking of uh, speaking of the QDMA, really quick, another thing. I, we haven't even talked about this, Dan, at all. Um I'm actually going to be speaking at the national convention for the Quality Deer Management Association, um, wow. and I'm going to record it as a podcast and publish it here for everyone to listen to in the future. But we're going to do it in front of a live audience and um, take questions and stuff. So if you've been on the fence about going to the QDMA national convention, you should definitely go, be in that audience, ask me a stumper of a question, and you could be on the podcast. So, Well, I tell you, so you got me a room – and you're paying for my room and board down there too, right? I assumed we were going to share a bunk bed. Oh, bunk bed or a or a share a single. <laughs> yeah, duh. Fold out one, fold out couch. <laughs> duh, duh. Uh, so yeah, I got to figure got to figure out um, all the details around that. But uh, open with a joke. Open with a joke. That's a good idea. A, a really dirty one. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> That'll, that's a, That's called an attention getter, if you didn't know that. I literally was just watching a show <laughs> last night. Um, you ever heard of the show Crashing? It's on HBO. Um, it's really funny. I don't think so. Basically, no. it's the story of this guy who wants to go into stand-up comedy, and kind of his whole world is crashing down around him, and he's trying to make it. And um, he gets oh, this job. Mad. He gets this job. Um, basically, he's a warm-up comedian for like a daytime talk show. Um, yep. So he's the warm up for the Rachel Ray show. So like in between takes or when they're not recording, he goes in front of the live studio audience and like tells them to clap and tells them a couple <laughs> jokes and stuff. So he does what you just said I should do. He goes out there and he somehow starts telling a dirty joke. But this is the Rachel Ray show, you know? And he starts talking to like an elderly woman. She's probably like 70 years old. And he starts talking about like, Something pretty dirty. And she like looks she like kinda looks at him shocked. And then he keeps going with it and pushing her and pushing her. And then when he gets done, he walks off stage and like the manager of the show grabs her and says, Do you realize that was Rachel Ray's mom? <laughs> <laughs> so I you just gotta be careful. <laughs> you gotta be right. careful. Right. So yeah. Uh That's but, awesome. Yeah, it'll be cool. Um Going to be the the topic is uh, expanding your deer hunting horizons, and so I'll be discussing some of the things I've learned myself and from some of our guests, talking about ways to to go beyond your backyard or beyond your back forty, and, and trying one of these trips, trying a DIY trip on you know like I've knocked on doors in Iowa or public land like I did in Montana or some of the things I've got coming up. Um, so that's the tentative plan. So uh, com. check it out. How long is the uh, speech got to be? I think they've given me an hour. Oh, wow. That's a big time frame, my man. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we'll see how that goes. Basically, I'm just going to tell them embarrassing stories about you, maybe. So. Yeah, that's all right. Whatever. I mean, it, it wouldn't be the first time. All they have to do is look back at the uh, um, Black Hawk County newspaper. <laughs> they'll, they'll know a whole bunch about me. Yeah. There's some dirt in there. <laughs> somewhere around 2002 and three yeah don't give people ideas they'll dig it up man <laughs> i know they will speaking of totally well maybe not too unrelated um speaking of vomiting um <laughs> <laughs> a 
last night or no, two nights ago. Um, I'm home alone. My wife is on a work trip. And so, you know, the wife's away. I thought I was going to be relaxed and do whatever. And my dog starts throwing up and he ends up throwing up like, I don't know, three, four different times in like multiple big, like pools of stuff all over the house late Monday night. And then yesterday morning, I was hoping he'd be fine, you know, because first it was all his food, and then it was, like, grass and stuff. And I thought, okay, he just ate, like, a weird plant. Um, And then yesterday morning, he started puking more. And then midday, he, like, had, (laughs) continuing with the theme earlier of number two, he had a, he dropped a deuce that was, like, pure liquid sputtering. Uh... But I went to go look at it because I was, like, concerned about his health a little bit. And I went to look at it, and it was, like, red. It looked like strawberry chocolate milk kind of. Um, so then I got concerned and I had to, so I called the vet and I was like, Hey, my dog's vomiting nonstop. And he just had like bloody poop. So I had to like race into the vet and they had to do like x-rays and all sorts of stuff. And he's got like some messed up intestine thing going on. They didn't find any blockage. So that was good. But I guess like just some very, very, very serious irritation and lots of red blood cells in his, what they call fecal matter. I had to watch a person stick a thermometer on my dog's butt. And that was very, I don't know, uncomfortable. <laughs> my yeah. dog is, my dog, he was just staring at my eyes while he had this thermometer. <laughs> He's like, dad, why, why is this happening to me, dad? <laughs> I've had to do that to both my kids. And the, they like, that's weird too. Yeah. That might be more weird. <laughs> so. Is, was, what'd, they, what'd your dog do? Eat like rat poison or something? I have or no drink idea. Antifreeze? I don't know. Yeah, I think definitely not that. I think that would have killed him. Um, but something. He got into something which did not agree with him. So they did this thing. I've never seen this before. Um, they had to in, they had to give him fluids because of how yeah. dehydrated he was. So they put a needle in his back, and they filled, like, a pocket in his skin full of fluids, like a like the size of a big softball, but just yeah. fluid. It was a bubble of fluid that was just sitting on top of his back, inside his skin, like a camel hump or something. Um, yeah. And he just walked over. He, they they just injected this thing, had this big old camel hump, and then he just had this bubble on top of his back for the rest of the night. It was it was the weirdest thing. And then I guess it just just absorbs. It, it. absorbs, yeah. yeah. Um, so they gave him that, and then I've got like three different medications he's on or something, and uh, it was a debacle yesterday. But uh, well, that's that's why we're recording here a day later than usual. So well, hopefully it turns out all right, man. Thanks, dude. Me too. Um, Anything else in your world? You know. I mean, that's what this podcast is about, right? Yeah. Should we talk about deer, that then? Deer? deer? Deer stuff, right? Yeah. Real quick, though, before we move on, let's pause briefly for our Sitka story today. And Wired Hunt producer Spencer Newharth spoke with Michigan deer hunter Don Vidash for this one. For this week's Sitka story, we're joined by Don Vidash, who tells us about an eye-opening encounter he had in southeastern Kansas. Well, Spencer, it's an interesting, uh, <laughs> the sickest stories have, have been intriguing to me. I'm an avid follower of the podcast and, and I've had a couple, uh, defining, uh, moments in, uh, in my own career. And one really was an eye opener for me back in 2015. I had a particularly large buck that I was after in Kansas probably the biggest one I had, I had ever chased and had a lot of camera pictures of him and, uh, was really waiting him out and, 
got down to Kansas, just on a great cold front in November and uh, got into where I thought he would be. And uh, sure enough, around 1130 a.m., he comes walking in uh, into the field. I was I was sitting in uh, with a few does and uh, I snort wheezed at him uh, just trying to get aggressive. And, and he took one look over at me and just came charging in like a bull. Uh, stopped staring at me head on at 10 yards, uh, eyeball to eyeball. And it was, it was one of those moments where, you know, your camouflage really gets tested. And, and right about then he, he looked away and took one step and, and that, that was one of his last. And for me, that was really one of those uh, moments where you wonder, you know, how things are working and, and, and I had the wind in my face and I just knew at that time that, um, the camouflage was working for me. Uh, you know, as hunters, I think we always have questions, you know, is my wind good? Is, is my, is my setup good? Is, is my equipment solid? And, and in that moment I knew, uh, that all that was clicking. On Don's hunt, which was a bitterly cold sit, he was wearing Sitka's phonetic system. If you'd like to create a Sitka story of your own, or to learn more about Sitka's technical hunting apparel, visit sitkagear.com. I want to I want to say one thing related to deer before we dive into our main topic. Um, All right. And I want to give another plug for a book that I just really, really like. Um, okay. And I don't know if I've ever told you about this one or not, um, but I decided to reread it. So I'm reading it, I think, for the third time. It's called Whitetail Access. You ever read that one? Uh, no, but I need to. Who's who wrote it? Chris Eberhardt. Um, okay. Well, we had his dad on the podcast last summer, John Eberhardt. Um, yep. Speaking of which, I don't think I ever told you this, but John reached out to me after that. Do you remember John? Uh, I believe so. Yeah. So he talked about just how like much more difficult it is to hunt in Michigan than Iowa, and he kind of gave you a hard time about it. Um, yeah. He emailed me later, like apologized, like he wanted to make sure you didn't feel bad about that and like said maybe he gave it to you a little bit too hard. So I just want to pass that on. <laughs> he did. Uh, I am very offended and I am very mad at Mr. Eberhardt and I will never talk to him again. Uh, I thought it was nice of him that he was concerned about that because I sure wouldn't have cared if I offended you. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> you don't. But his son, so his son wrote this book, Whitetail Access, and man, it's it's like a fun read. It's not only informational, but it's also fun because what Chris did is he decided to, um, I don't know, this is a decade ago or maybe, um, he decided to take a whole um, hunting season, yep. and he had a flexible job. He was like a, at the time, I think he was like a sales rep, or I'm gonna, I could have this totally wrong. Um, I don't remember what his secondary job was, but he was like part time outdoor writer, and then he had another job that he did, but he was able to have the flexibility to like cut out of it for three months. And he, so he cut out of his main job for three months and took his van. He has like a conversion van or like a minivan and lived out of that and traveled the Midwest chasing deer. And he wrote a book about it. Um, so we went to Wisconsin, North Dakota, Missouri, Michigan. Um, I don't remember if there's any else. Those are the ones I remember. Um, yeah. But so he tells the story of those trips and those hunts, but then he also like goes into detail of how he scouts during the season, how he sets up on every hunt, what his thought process was. He has diagrams and they're showing where he hung his stand in relation to the other habitat and stuff. And like, it's a really good example filled, um, book. It was a good way to learn. So, um, 
I, I really enjoyed that one. If you haven't checked it out yet, Whitetail Access by uh, Chris Eberhardt. That's a, that's a fun read. Yeah. So that's it, kind of a good transition in a way. I mean, because yeah. that's one thing that I really need to focus on uh, for What's this that? upcoming season uh, access. Yeah. And I'm not talking a... about, I'm not talking about gaining more farms. I'm talking about finding a way to the stand locations without, you know, with the minimal, with minimal amount of intrusion. Right. Right. A couple of weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago, I think you mentioned you were having like an access day where you were just sitting and thinking oh, about yeah. better access. Yeah. So, yeah. So yeah, that's, that's kind of what I want to talk about today is um, like you, I'm sure I have got a long list of like projects that I need to get done before the hunting season. Yeah. Um, and I literally put together this to-do list on a Google doc so I can like keep track of it. Um, cause I was like getting overwhelmed like, Oh my gosh, I've got so much to do and I don't have all that much time to do it because I need to get this stuff done before I head out West again. Um, yeah. because when I get back from our next Western trip, that's going to be after, you know, um, I'm going to be hunting out there. I'm not going to get back here till like mid September and I don't want to be in the woods doing stuff a couple of weeks before our opener. So, so you're going from July to from mid- July to mid-September. You're out there for a long time then. Yeah, I think we're not going to go out now till like mid-July or maybe late July. Okay. Um, we're pushing it back a little bit um, just because like it feels like we haven't been home at all yet. Yeah. So, And also, this is other news. I do not know if I'm going to do the Alaska trip this year. Yeah. Just with Man. the logistics and yeah. kind of everything going on with our, our summer travel plans and the money I've spent and everything, I'm starting to think it, it just might not be doable. So it's a big trip. Yeah, it really is. Um, Hey, one thing, one thing real quick. Yeah. Sorry to cut you off, but I'm going to send you a package and I'm not going to tell you what's in it, but you have to open it up while we record a podcast. Oh my gosh. That is like the most frightening thing I could ever (laughs) imagine. (laughs) Virtual pinky swear. Virtual pinky swear. I will do that. Okay, cool. I mean, you can edit it out if you want, but I think you're going to like it. Oh, man, I'm excited. I'm really excited. I'm excited and terrified. Right. But um, So hopefully I get it to you in in June sometime. Okay. I'm going to go pick it up in the next two weeks. Can you make me like a virtual pinky promise that's not going to be like a a lunch bag full of dog crap? It's not going to be profane or disgusting. All right. Sweet. There you go. (laughs) That sounds good. I make that promise. All right. I like it. <laughs> if anyone is still listening to this show already today, just the stuff we've talked about, <laughs> this is classic Wired to Hunt right here. <laughs> this is real life. Oh, man. So so to-do lists, summer projects. Um, do you have anything new on the access front? You told us a little bit you know, a couple weeks ago about that, but any progress there? Well, yeah. I mean, so – the two things uh, I'm going to be, I'm going to be in the can next. I, can I, can I interrupt? Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry, but this is just so we don't lose our listeners. <laughs> yeah. The, the point of us walking through all these things, or at least the, the one I'm thinking is that it, I, I want to talk through all the different projects that we've got going on so that, mm-hmm. you know, people might be able to get some ideas of different things they could be trying. And then I also want to be talking, you know, also explaining, you know, why are we doing these things and how we're doing these things? Um, because I think, you know, all of us, we can always be taking our preparation one step further, getting a little bit better every year. So my hope is that, you know, what you and me, Dan, can share here today, that's hopefully going to give some ideas or some inspiration or motivation or some, some different things people can try. So, so that's right. the whole point of our episode today. Um, sorry for the interruption, Dan. 
go ahead. No, you're good. Okay, so I think that that was good that you interrupted me because it gave me a second to actually think, and I want to take a, a couple backward steps here okay. and talk about very high level the property that I'm I, I need to talk about this the access you know about access. Okay. This property is enclosed by cricks, like a crick system, and by three other properties, right? And for my, so, for my, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> for my context, can you tell me is this, uh, is this your main Southern Iowa yep. spot? Okay. Th- this is my main farm. Okay. So, I have property owners to the south, to the west, um, and to the northwest, and then a creek kind of surrounds the whole thing, uh, in in a way, or the the west northwest and cuts kind of through the center, uh. uh like the north part of it. Yeah, the creek that I fell into. Uh, right? Yeah, well, that creek, yeah, just down quite a ways. The yeah. the place that you fell in was a different property altogether, but oh. um, but in that general area, right? Okay. okay. So, so access, for the most part, is through the front of the farm from the east, and you have to go through ag to get to the timber, right? So... My theory is instantly me, by me driving in, you know, a vehicle may not necessarily quote unquote spook the deer, but it's going to get them out of the fields yeah. early in the morning when you're on the meaning that they're not naturally moving back to their bedding areas, mm-hmm. right? They've been forced a little bit. Definitely. So yeah, that access is great for an evening hunt for them coming to the food source, but for a morning hunt, I am ruining absolutely almost the entire farm I feel. Yeah, because they're they're being bumped into the timber, and then yeah, they may get back to a natural pattern, but they're ahead of me. Right when getting you, back, and then when you walk in there, you're pushing them in further. Exactly, uh, and I try to hug or uh, hug the the borders of this property. Now, I've talked to two landowners uh, to try to be able to access from the complete opposite direction, so I can get into some of my tree stands locations, and get that natural movement from the ag fields back into the the bedding and into the pinch points. Now, what what happens is uh, they told me no. They said, yeah, we'd rather not because we hunt as well. And we just would rather not have you be walking through our properties. Okay, fair enough, right? You're, I'm going to get that. So now kind of getting to what, what I need to do this summer is I have two other landowners that I need to talk with about walking. It's going to be one hell of a long walk, but – I feel that I'm just I'm ruining every everything when it co- go um, when it comes to entering this property, right? Yeah. So I'm going to be talking to two landowners, uh, hopefully within the next three or four weeks, and I'm going to be, you know, talk discussing with them like, hey man, can I at least just park on your park on your field drive and walk your fence line into the property that I hunt, and I feel that that would that would help me uh, a little bit. It's through cattle pasture. Yeah. The other, yeah, the other thing, and this is, this is where it's going to get difficult is crick access to some of these backstand locations. And it would be, we're talking like walking a mile, but in a crick. Now that's great if the crick's low, but if the crick you know, if there's big rain, that crick fills up and it could go above waist, could go above chest at times. I've seen it over, oh, you know, <laughs> yeah, uh, over the head at times. So, you know, th- 
it would have to be the perfect condition to walk back all the way from the road back in there um, and and use that crick, which I feel would be great on certain wind directions. <laughs> However, this is kind of where the dilemma is. I need I need a certain wind which would benefit me accessing the accessing from where I normally do, right? So when I get into my stand, then it's um, then it's it's good. But if I use the crick to access the stand on the wind that I need, um, my scent will be blowing into a bedding area. So I'm kind of at a really I, I need to be airdropped into this property, basically, is what I'm getting at. <laughs> now, can you hunt that as a mooring set, though, and be going through the creek with a bad wind before they're to their beds so that you get to – you go through the area with a bad wind, but it's not bad because they're not there yet, and then by the time you get to the tree stand, you've got the good wind and you're past the area where the wind would mess you up by the time they get there? Uh, Yeah, kind of. However, you know – these ruts, these rut, you know, I spend most of my time in the timber the last week of October, the first two weeks of November, just like you do. Right. And the, those bedding areas, it seems like they're during those rut, during the rut, there's always deer in that bedding area, whether it's doe, whether it's a mature buck or whether it's just a, you know, a smaller immature buck cruising at night. I'm in a spot where there's deer all there, you know, there all the time. Yeah. And that's, that's what my trail camera. So, you know, I, I put that info in deer lab and then I'm looking at, it, I'm like, there is literally a deer in this area from October 28th to November, like 27th, every hour of every day. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah. yeah it's, so it, it's a great place, but challenging blow enough. it out really easy. Yeah. I guess it all comes down to like, uh, it's a numbers game, right? What's the, the chance of the, what's the risk, what's the reward. And when it balances one way or the other, then you got to go for it. Right? right. And I think I'm to the point now where, um, I got some stands that are pretty safe for access. I can get in there, I can, you know, by entering my normal way, but once the rut hits and I want to catch natural movement, um, I'm going to have to have somebody drop me off on you know, on the road and walk some of these cricks in because yeah. I don't want to park my truck on the road. Right. Right. Um, I can ask, I'm going to try to ask permission from a couple, you know, farmers. Hey, can I just park in your drive? I don't want to hunt your property. I just want to park in your drive. If not, I'm going to have to have somebody drop me off and walk, you know, roughly a mile through a crick to get back to, you know, cause the property that I hunt, you've seen it on a map. It's pretty big. Oh yeah. I feel like a lot of people say they have to walk a mile. But like when you really have to walk a mile, especially in the creek, man, that is tough. I mean, that and is you're not... trying to be slow and you're trying to be quiet. Uh huh. And you got a backpack and maybe a tree stand and a bow, and that's that is no easy feat. So I uh, I don't envy you. I uh, but it's good. I mean, it's that's great access, and we talk about it all the time. It's like being willing to do those tough things or do a bunch of little things that take a little bit longer than usual. Yeah, that's what makes the difference. So my goal is, you know, obviously I got my mineral already out in the next couple of weeks. I'm going to be setting my uh, cameras out while I'm there. I'm going to be putting a couple tree stands in these, like I'm going to have them set already for some of these 
locations where I might only hunt one morning or one afternoon the entire season. Yeah. And what I want to, I want to be low pro as possible. Yeah. So speaking of trail cameras, what are you thinking? Um, post your advice from Joe, um, Joe Elsinger on our podcast a couple weeks ago when he, when he encouraged you not to be checking your cameras throughout the season like you do. Are you going to take, are you going to try that or are you going to yep. do your usual? Nope. I'm some of these, I'm going to be like getting 32 gig cards, 64 gig cards, putting them in and just letting them ride out uh, the entire season and go back there. Cause like he mentioned, and then like, kind of like I've seen what, what, what really kind of popped my interest and kind of, you know, pulled that, I had that aha moment is when I tagged out so early this upcoming year. And then I let my trail cameras run the entire rest of the, the archery season until shotgun season. That's when I went and took them down. And what do you know? I had more deer on my trail cameras, just be, which I feel is because I wasn't going and checking them on a regular basis throughout the rut. Yeah, that makes sense. And I have enough information and I feel that I have enough uh, intel from, you know, like from using deer lab and whatnot to say, okay, I need to be in this stand roughly at this time to catch deer movement on, you know, these winds or these conditions Yeah, from last year and the previous year's information. So did you end up getting, so it sounds like you did, um, but are there like some specific annual patterns that you've now identified that you saw happen last year that you're going to try to key in on this year? Mark, please don't say I told you so, but... <laughs> I am going to have to do some all-day sits. It's just uh, uh, enough, yes. bo- enough BS. I need to do it because I have two stand locations where I have the this most. makes me so happy. <laughs> I know. I know. The most big buck activity. And you know how Deer Lab has it broken down by uh, like 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. and then 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. and then from 2 to 6 and from 6 to 10 or what, you know, that circle. Yep. A majority of my big bucks are traveling at, in where these two particular stand locations are at are tra- traveling from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Wow. And it, it sucks to know that. Like, <laughs> I don't know. They're coming. What what they're doing is they're, they're two pretty predominant pinch points Two or it's a pinch point slash travel corridor, basically the same thing. And they're coming off. I know what they're doing. They're coming off the ag fields. They're checking a couple bedding areas. Then they're hitting these pinch points midday to transition to another, uh, other bedding areas and other ag fields on a different part of the farm. Uh, it makes, I mean, that, that sounds exactly what you'd expect for yep. that rutting time frame. What, what specific time frame were these really happening the most? Do you remember? Um, I think it was, you know, I had activity through those from mid-October, but nothing daylight until um, in, in that time frame, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. from October 29th, 28th, 29th, all the way until November 25th, 6th, 7th. You know when I when I ended up taking my trail cams down. Cool, that's good to know. I mean that yeah. that right there is proof positive of that right. rut midday movement it it happens so so my debacle on one of these is and i i'd love to hear what you 
have to say about this because I've heard I've heard some guys talk about, hey man, you either go in extremely early, right? So everything's calmed down because there's literally no movement on some of these uh, trail cameras from midnight to I don't know six a.m. sometimes. So there there's no deer in the area early on in the morning. And so if I get in there and I, I get in real early or do I hang back and not go in until like nine o'clock in the morning or eight or nine? I think my thought would be to get, even though you're probably not going to have early morning movement, like you might have a lousy first few hours of the day. I'd still want to get in there really early. So I'm not spooking anything. Right. Um, I'd worry if you're going in at nine o'clock, maybe that is when the first one comes cruising through or whatever. Um, I mean, in this kind of scenario, I have I have had a scenario like where it made sense not to go in early. Like a few, mm-hmm. I, I can't remember if we ever talked about this, but that year I hunted in Iowa that you also killed a buck. It was like 2012, I think maybe. And yep. um, the spot I wanted to hunt, the only way I could get to it, you had to cross an open crop field. There was no way to get through without crossing that crop field. Um, so I was worried though, if I went in there, you know, I want to do an all day sit, but I thought if I go in there before dark, I'm going to spook deer off that field. So instead of doing that, I waited until daylight until I could glass the field and watched and made sure there was nothing on the field. And then I snuck in and got to my stand, you know, at like eight o'clock or whatever it was. Um, right. so that was a scenario where it made sense because it all came down to how do you get to that tree stand without spooking deer? Um, right. so I think in your scenario, if there's not activity early in the morning, I would use that to your benefit in my, my opinion. Right. And it's probably what I need to do. It's just now I have to go in, um, within the next couple weeks and that's when I'm going to go really look for the best possible tree. I mean, this, you know, a lot of people say you got to grind it out, right? It's that the, the, the sucky part, if you want to say that nothing really sucks about bow hunting in my opinion, but the, the frustrating part is knowing that in order for me to find the perfect tree stand location, I'm going to literally have to set it up on a day that I feel I'm going to be hunting that wind the most, you know, on a day that there's a mimicking wind. Mm-hmm. So let's say Northwest and I'm going to have to get in the tree and I'm going to have to start throwing some of those milkweeds or throwing something out of the tree to see where my wind is actually going right. to see if it's not looping around in some of these pinch points or to see if it's hugging an, another ridge, if I'm going to be safe on a North Northwest wind and Knowing that, that there's going to be a lot of hard work involved physically setting up and tearing down maybe one or two tree stands before I find the right particular tree. Yeah. It's that brutal, brutal summer work, but it, yeah, it all pays off in the end, hopefully. Right. Well, yep. That's the goal. I mean, cause you know, trying to accomplish goals, right? If I wasn't so, I have goals, you have goals, you know, if I'm, I'm not okay with shooting a three-year-old buck, right? So I'm going to be very detail oriented in how I approach, uh, this, this season. Yeah. Well, it sounds like, I mean, it's cool. What's, what's cool, Dan, is that, um, you know, just over the course of the last three years, I think we're going, I think, I don't know, three years or four years or whatever it's been that we've been doing this podcast together. Um, Just hearing how, you know, your strategy and your approach has shifted and evolved. um, 
is is really cool to see and i think i'm sure mine mirrors that like both of us personally have changed our approach so much and learned so much from hearing from our guests from bouncing back our own ideas between each other um i think you and me we've evolved a lot and i think our hunting has improved because of that and i hope that the people listening i hope they've seen something similar happen for themselves because i think uh i mean it's definitely it's definitely paying off you know having these discussions with people it's making it's making us change things, which is changing our level of success, I think. Right. I'm going to add one more thing to this, and and then I have some questions for you, actually. But so my kid is due. My, my third kid is going to be born sometime in mid to late September, right, mm-hmm. which means that I'm not going to get a lot of time to hunt in October, right? So my – I don't think I'm going to be able to get into the tree stand, um, to until maybe November, like the, the, the first to second week, of November, which if you talk to some of our guests on this podcast is an okay thing, right? Right. right. So I'm going to be forced by the hand of nature to not hunt as much as I normally do because, and I'm going to use that as maybe a learning experience to see, okay, is if by me laying off October, am I going to be able to have a better first time in rut experience to these stand locations that I haven't hunted close to or have not hunted period, right? And I'm going to see if that is going to convince me to lay off on some of my farms and maybe hunt, you know, public land or scrap some of these other non, um, I don't know what the word is I'm looking for, the non-high priority farms. You know, if I want to go kill a doe, I'll go to this farm, right? Right. If that's going to force me to say, okay, you've taught this has taught me that I'm not going to go into my good farms where my hitless bucks are until the rut. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think I gotta believe that you're gonna see that. I just yeah. think that if you look at the basic core elements here, you're especially given the fact that there's not like a bunch of other guys bow hunting that same property. So yeah. by the fact that you can get out of there and leave it pretty pressure free relatively. Um, and then when you show up during the rut already deer movement is going to be at its best. And now it hasn't been dampened by your previous activity, checking trail cameras and yeah. or hunting. I mean, I think that's going to make a huge difference. So yeah. it's a bummer. You can't hunt in October, but I would not be surprised if, you know, assuming weather and all that kind of stuff lines up for you when you start your rotification stuff, I bet yeah. you it's going to be pretty gangbusters. Yeah. I have a question for you. I have have an you answer. ever, have you ever had to have a conversation with another person that you share hunting property with about, Hey, your access is, is not good or your, um, where your tree stands are, are not good or anything like that to say, Hey man, if you laid off one or two extra weeks, I think we'd, we'd see better deer on this property. Have you ever had to have a conversation like that? You know, I have not. Um, usually whenever I have hunted a property, well, so whenever I've hunted a property where I knew the other people that hunted it, um, it was always like, uh, we made our decisions kind of jointly. So we would decide like, hey, we should hunt stand A and B, and here's the best way to get to it. Um, yeah. I've not had to hunt a place with someone, like not with a friend, um, where like they were going rogue and doing their own thing, and it was like screwing everything up. Um, I have hunted properties where 
there was a bunch of other hunters that I just didn't, you know, know, know well. And I didn't, you know, in those situations, I didn't feel like I was in a position where I could tell them what to do or recommend what they do. So, and I'm uh, not trying to, to say that what they're doing is wrong or right. You know, I just feel from the information that I've found out, if you wait, you know, and in a way it would be beneficial to them as well. I'm not trying to make it all about me because they have permission on some of these properties that I hunt the same as me. And they can literally, if they want to hit every day, morning to night, they can do that. They have the permission to do that. Um, I'm just saying, you know, it would probably be beneficial to us both if we laid off the property until if you want to hunt does, man, go hunt a doe on a, on a field edge somewhere. Cause they'll pop out, you know, yeah. an hour before dark, you know, the way to do that. What's that? No, exactly. Show them trail cam picks. No, no. Say, Hey, uh, so-and-so, I really think you should listen to episode number 153 <laughs> of the wired hunt podcast. <laughs> yeah. Just subtly hint. Yeah. That. Right. <laughs> then what they'll do is they'll listen to every one of the podcasts and probably locate my stand locations <laughs> based off of the information that I've already shared. So no, thank okay. you. Mr. <laughs> Maybe that would backfire. <laughs> I under, totally understand what you're saying, though. I mean, that is challenging. I mean, that's, you know, that's the challenge of hunting land you don't own, the challenge of hunting public land. Yeah. Um, it's like what you, what you also have to do then is you can either try to influence them or try to understand what they're doing. So if you know they're going in there and mucking up a certain section, then you got to say, okay, so where are they doing that? Are they always hunting this little corner and then use that to your advantage. So you can say, okay, that is an area where there's been a lot of pressure. How's that going to change the rest of the property? Where are they going to push the deer to? And then maybe that can help you narrow down your options. Um, but not ideal. That's for sure. Right. Yeah, it is what it is. And you know, just like guys who hunt public ground, man, I gotta, I gotta share properties with other guys too. So, yeah. Yeah. So I'm doing some public land hunting in Michigan this year. Yes. Why? I think I just want to try. I want to try. Like I, I've I've enjoyed the public stuff I've done in the past. You know, my trip to Montana was awesome. I really enjoy um, hearing the stories of guys that are hunting public land and seeing how they're doing it and just the just the challenge of it. So I kind of just want to see can I can I pull it off in Michigan? Because um, I think it's about as tough as it gets um, as far as public land hunting. Trying to trying to do it in in southern Michigan is is not easy. Um, so it's kind of like a little trial for myself. Can I at least put myself in a position to see a decent buck? I don't know if I'll kill one, but I want to get out there and see if I can figure it out. So question. Yeah. How many tags do you get in Michigan? You get two buck tags. You can get up to two buck tags. Okay. So you can get two buck tags. Okay. So, so yeah, obviously in Michigan, Holyfield is the number one, the number one prior priority. Okay. Um, and are you deciding to hunt public ground because you want to stay off your property until the absolute condi- right conditions? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. I want to, in the past, you know, I, I always have a handful of properties I can hunt around Michigan. Like I've got my main spots and then there's a couple kind of secondary places I can go. Um, but I wanted to add to that list a little bit more this year and right. with public, you know, on the days that are kind of not great days to be out hunting on one of my good spots, this will give me something to do to get in the woods and learn, try new stuff, go in there, see what I see. Um, so I'm trying to try and give myself an opportunity to hunt more without screwing up the good stuff and force myself into learning situations. So, okay. 
So I got I've some been... questions for you. All right. What you got? I got some more. I'm sorry. I got some more questions about this. Yeah. Yeah. And tell me if you want me to wait on this line of questionings until, until we get to that point. But I have questions about how you're going to approach this, this holy field thing. Hmm. Let's, well, let's, all right. I want to talk about what I'm doing on the public land scouting so far. Okay. Let's talk can, about that first. Okay. We'll do that. And then definitely we'll get to holy field. Okay. Um, so with the public land stuff here in Michigan, um, it is obviously lots and lots and lots, and lots of guys out here. And I've hunted public land in Michigan before, um, just not with any success yet. Um, so what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to find a number of places that are as far as possible from, uh, city centers yep, and that seem like just hard to access, just like nasty, either wet or brushy or hilly or something that's just going to make it a little tougher for people. So, so I found one place in particular that I'm very encouraged by and I went and scouted it last week and, um, excuse me. What I did was I, um, you know, first did a lot of scouting from online, looking at maps, figuring out where the property lines are, figuring out, you know, just the lay of the land. And I found a lot of areas that look like there could be really good deer bedding that most hunters wouldn't be willing to go to because they were very far from access points and they were really wet. There's like some streams and some creeks and stuff that run through here and lots of swampy cat tally type stuff. Um, so my game plan for that first day was I, I located this one kind of general region that looked really good. It looked kind of like your your prototypical like swampy marsh buck bedding type stuff where you've got the creek running through this area, you've got cattails and swamp all around it, and then there's little points of high ground that kind of extend out into it. So my plan was to get out there and walk that edge and try to find where the deer were bedded along there in this kind of, I don't know how, maybe it's a 40-acre section that's pretty far away from any roads um, that's in the kind of core of this area. And it was just, I mean, it's, it's good looking stuff. Like long story short, I came out of it like very encouraged. I didn't see a lot of other tree stands. I did see a couple, but nothing right. Well, there was one really old one right in an area I liked. Um, but otherwise it looks relatively unscathed, um, as much as it can be. And like just tough. Like if anyone wanted to get here, they would have to just, they'd have to be kind of crazy like me. Um, so the other thing that I like about it is that I think I can access it by doing exactly what you talked about. I can either walk this stream in with waders on or take like a canoe and canoe in and avoid bumping deer, a lot of deer, I think, and actually canoe right to the back end of where I want to get into, hop out of the river, and then climb up into a tree with just a very short walk. So I tried to find places I'd be able to access with the water, and I tried to find these bedding areas, and I ended up, even though... It was a little late. I wish I'd done this in like March or February when, you know, it wasn't all greened up, but yeah, it's gone. Um, so I was able to get and actually found some good bedding areas, found like what definitely looked like some buck beds. You know, it was cool because I enjoy, you know, we hear so many people talk about trying to find buck beds or trying to find bedding areas and the places they should be, you know, Dan Infault, he was on your show recently. He's been on ours. Um, so he talks about, you know, you're going to find them on these little points to extend out into the swamp, or you're going to find them on the islands or stuff like that. Um, so I'd see these spots in the map. I'd see them in person. I'm like, all right, that there should be a bed there. And then I sneak out there and no shit. There it is. There's a buck bed or there's a, there's an oval and there's some hair in it and there's a rub. Um, so it's great when you can confirm those things and apply it in the real world. So I got a handful of those spots kind of marked on my GPS. I picked out a couple trees that I could potentially get into if I wanted to hunt there. And, um, 
and that was like step one. I thought that was great. I liked it. Did some more just general hiking just to kind of better understand the lay of the land. Um, but I had like a good idea. Okay, here's a few places I can head into, be close to deer bedding um, that I could sneak into in like mid-October or something and observe and possibly be able to make a move if there is a somewhat mature buck in the area. Um, and then there's another section of the property I wanted to look at because it looked like it was another spot that was far from, relatively far from the access points. So I go driving down this one road, and uh, we didn't talk about this, right? I'm pretty sure we nope. didn't talk about this. Okay. Nope. So um, I go driving down this one access road to get to this kind of, I don't know, faraway section of the public, kind of out of the way. And I go driving down this road, and I start seeing signs. Um, on the map, it looked like a regular road. But now I start seeing signs, like the kind of thing, like, if you're reading this, you're in range or you know, be prepared to die, that kind of stuff. <laughs> and I was like, Ooh, this doesn't look like the right place. <laughs> yeah. And then I looked to my left and there's a guy sitting in like a golf cart staring at me. Yeah. I'm like, Oh boy. Um, but really nice guy. We end up striking up a conversation and I, you know, it ends up that road is not a public road anymore. It was a private road. Um, but it looked public for a while. So I apologized and we started talking and long story short, um, he ended up giving me tentative permission. This isn't like for sure yet, but he sounded like this would be okay um, for me to hunt his private land. He's got a little piece of private land adjacent to the public. And then nice. um, for me to be able to access the public from there too, because nobody else is allowed to drive down that road or park. Um, so with that, I can get to a portion of this public land that is almost one mile, literally almost one mile away from the nearest other parking area or pull off or anything like that. So nice. as far as public land, it could be really good. It could be really good. I could be completely wrong. You know, we could get there in October and there could be guys everywhere, but I don't think it will. So, um, so I'm excited about that. I'm going to do some more scouting in that new section now here in the next week, probably. And then I just want to go into this season with a handful of good options that, you know, in that mid October time frame, early in mid October, um, before I'm targeting Holyfield, I've got somewhere to uh, to try some new things and, and see what's going on. So that's all right. That's what all right. Got. So Holyfield, that's that's beside the point, right? You're going to be very cautious with that buck. You're going to be planned to a T with that buck. Wait for the right conditions. Now, is this whole public land thing that you're doing the scouting? Are you going to going to be trying some more aggressive tactics on this piece of property because it's one of those things where it's like, I know I'm going to be, well, whether or not Holyfield is around yet or not, right? We don't, do you, do you, can you confirm that yet? Uh, I haven't seen him in a couple months. Right. Okay. So are you going to be more aggressive on this public land? You're going to be diving in further and harder, um, you know, get trying to get closer, closer to bedding areas on these, uh, these public land hunts, um, just to, I guess, test out your skills, or are you going to be, um, it's somewhat aggressively, aggressively conservative, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I am definitely going to be approaching the public land thing as, um, I'm not going to be afraid to screw things up because right. I've got, I've got my other core things. I'm going to be hunting Ohio. I, I might be hunting Iowa now still again. Um, so, and I've, and I've obviously number one priority for the year is Holyfield in Michigan. So the public land stuff is going to be try new things, swing for the fences, be aggressive, and it's probably not going to work out, but maybe it will, or maybe I'll learn something or maybe I'll see him and, 
you know, be able to do the bump and dump or whatever. I'm going to try right. stuff. Um, it's, it's, it's purely going to be a, a testing ground. Um, that'll be kind of cool. So, so yeah, I'm going to be aggressive. It's going to be all hang and hunt stuff. I'm going to be pushing in close to bedding areas. Um, I'm going to be observing, changing things up the next time in and, uh, and just seeing what I can figure out. Awesome. I think excited gonna, about that. I think that's, uh, going to teach you a lot. Yeah, I think so. You're going to learn from failure. You're going to learn from, I guess, mission accomplished. And then I think, you know, I think anytime you do something like this, and we, we've talked about this before, but anytime you go outside of your typical comfort zone and try a new thing like this, either, like you said, fail or succeed, you can take stuff from that that can then be applied to your main hunting. So I think I'll be able to take stuff from this public experience and apply that back to my main Michigan spots in some way or to what I do in Ohio or wherever. Um, right. So I think if nothing else, we'll have some good stories. Um, probably of me screwing things up, but <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> That's how you learn, man. Yeah. I've, uh, see, I think I said, you know, I've started, I started hunting what I would say relatively hardcore, right? Putting the time and making a commitment to bow hunting in about 2006. And I don't think it was until about 2012, maybe, maybe even a little before that or even a little after, but there's a range there of three years that, you know, six, seven, eight years until I kind of figured out what I needed to be doing right. So, and I still learned something new every year. Oh yeah. Never stop learning. Yep. So do you want to talk about Holyfield then? I want to talk about Holyfield, man. Did you see I the, you, did you see the film? I saw, um, I saw the, the teaser for it. Got to check out the I film. I'm, I'm going to. It's only 11 minutes. It's quick and easy. But it, yeah, it finally got the story of Holyfield to this point on video. Um, we just launched it this week. So it's it's on wiredhunt.com and our Facebook page and our YouTube channel. Okay. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch it as soon as I'm done with this Sweet. podcast. Just let me know what you think. Yep. Okay. But Holyfield, right? Holyfield. Uh, but before we get into Holyfield, let's take our last pause of the day to thank our partners at Whitetail Properties. And producer Spencer Newharth is back with us today along with a Whitetail Properties land specialist to give us our weekly dose of Whitetail wisdom. This week with Whitetail Properties, we are joined by Brad Ferris, a land specialist out of central Mississippi. And Brad is going to be telling us about some Midwest hunting techniques that don't apply to southern whitetails. The, the biggest difference in, in hunting whitetails in the South versus the Midwest to me is it has to do more with climate than anything. You still want to be very respectful of the deer where they, your, your sanctuary areas, your quiet areas. I mean, it, it, I mean, I treat that exactly the same in the South. It's usually not as hilly in most places. So there's not as many natural pinch points as you find in kind of the rolling hills of the, of the Midwest. I have found, and, and the deer typically, the mature deer don't move. They're not on their feet as much in the south until the rut gets here. I mean, I know that's common in the in the Midwest too, but there's many times you won't see a deer in the daylight until, you know, that four or five rut period, and then once that's gone, they're, they're done. You don't see them again. So the one thing we don't have here that Midwest deer hunters have is we don't have the bitter cold temperatures that we can really get deer on their feet in a food plot scenario, whether it be standing corn, standing beans, 
some type of crop that we put out there to leave for the deer in the in the frigid temperatures and, and they only feed early because it's cold we don't we don't have that here you do not have that opportunity many places they have browse year-round in the south because we just don't get that little temperatures cold stuff so a lot of the techniques are the same you just have to adjust your thought process because deer do not move as much so you got to really focus on trying to get close to them in those tight spaces without spooking them because that's that they're not going to move far from them hardly ever in the south if you'd like to learn more and to see the properties that brad currently has listed for sale visit whitetailproperties.com backslash ferris that's f-a-r-r-i-s holyfield is like my shipwreck right yeah, except for much, much smaller. <laughs> well, size that that size don't matter, right? So, right. you think you're thinking about Holyfield quite a bit. Oh yeah, and you think he's going to be a five year old this year, right? I believe so. Okay, and uh, you made the decision to not shoot him with a muzzleloader late season last year, right? Correct. All right. So, any type of emotional breakdowns that you want to talk with us about before you decide not to shoot him this year? <laughs> Dude, if there's no chance in the world that I will not shoot him this year. Okay. If 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 I come to you in like November, like Hemmen and Han, you have permission to fly to Michigan and punch me in the face. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Deal. <laughs> there's no way. Like it was already like a crazy thing to do last year. I'm glad I did it, but but this year, I mean, there, there's just no there's no chance. This I'm ready for this thing to. I'm ready to, to wrap this, this, uh, experience up and to try to go in for the final kill. And I feel like, I feel like I've learned a lot and I've got a plan in place. And like, I'm, what's cool is that every year when I'm hunting my main Michigan spots, I'm always trying to tweak the situation, make it a little better, fix some things. And we talk about this all the time down in Ohio or different places I hunt. I'm always trying to hang the stands a little better, do this a little better. But I feel like because I'm so, like I feel like the, I, I'm putting a tremendous amount of pressure on myself to make this one specific thing happen. Like I'm, I'm making like massive changes or like every little thing I can think of that I would have liked to improve in past years. I would like maybe do a quarter of that would actually get done. Um, now it's like every tiny little thing I can possibly do. I want to try to do. Um, right. So it's forcing me to take like extreme levels of detailed analysis or like just more work. It's just, it's forcing me to do more, which is a good thing. It's forcing me to become a better hunter. Um, so there's lots and lots and lots of little things I'm doing to try to just give myself a little bit better of odds. And I know there's, you know, the odds are always going to be stacked against me. Um, you know, probably not going to kill, but I was, I was thinking about that the other night, right? I feel that you were doing a lot, right this last year to get on him. Right. I mean, you literally, uh, the day, I mean, there was days you decided, okay, maybe, maybe I shouldn't be hunting this many days in a row. And what he came to the, he came in borderline daylight, dark, the day you decided not to hunt. Right. Yeah. That day I decided that, that day I decided I wasn't going to shoot him. I, I saw him at 60 yards in daylight. Right. No, but I'm talking about before that. Oh, when I right? was still was, trying to kill him. Yeah, when you were with a bow during yeah. during arch, I mean, you were playing cat and mouse with him, and fine tuning your setup throughout that entire month of you know late October and November. Yeah, and I, you know you were c- c- very close. So yeah, full the drop, way I look, full drop, yeah, forty right? yards, right? So 
my opinion is that don't overthink this upcoming year because what you did last year was right. It was just a matter of circumstance that he either decided not to show up that night or um, the wind was, you know, a little too breezy for you or the shot was too long. And I, th- I feel if you, if you micromanage that too much, you're going to, you're, you're going to ruin it. Well, I, I hear what you're saying. And that's, that's a fair point. Um, I hope, I hope I don't risk doing that, but right. I guess, let me tell you, let me tell you, and you let me tell you the th- things I'm planning on doing or that I have been doing. And okay. then you can tell me if you think I'm on the right path or if I'm going too far. How about that? Okay. Yep. Okay. So there's a couple things going on in my mind. Number one, I need to try to make this habitat as absolutely as absolutely as attractive as possible for him during the hunting season to give me that, you know, one percent greater chance that he'll be on my property during daylight on one of the days I'm hunting. So right. It's a few changes I'm making. I did a little bit of improvement to some bedding areas um, to hopefully give me a little bit better chance that he might spend more time bedded on my property. Um, he does not seem to bed on my property a ton. He usually seems to bed just next door, adjacent to me, very close. Um, but that's bec- And I think that is uh, the reason why many of the encounters I had with him, he was just over on the other side of the property line in that good bedding cover. Um so I'm trying to improve in a couple key spots in the farm a little bit better cover. That's one thing. Number two, I'm trying to improve what I've got going on with my food plots just a little bit, again, to try to give me a little bit better chance he'll be out earlier in the daylight on that food. So right. one of those things is I'm going to do a better job of installing my food plot screens. Um, last year, I put a food plot screen around my main like front food plot, which is the spot where I came to full draw on him. Um, but it, I didn't plant it thick enough, so it was really spotty. It didn't give nearly as good of a seclusion as it should have. Um, so this year I'm going to plant it a little bit earlier. I'm going to plant it thicker. Um, and so I'm really going to hope it's going to be basically a wall that surrounds this whole plot so that it can't, anything that goes in there can't see the road. It can't see this big adjacent crop field next to it. And of course, anything or anyone on the outside of that won't be able to see it in the plot. So that's one thing. Number two, again, this is all like, how can I get him out here just a little bit earlier or make him come over into the open where I can shoot? Um, Because, like I said, the one time I came to full draw at him, it was just a little bit too dark. I just didn't feel comfortable touching off a 40-yard shot at that light level. Um, So if I can get him to come out five minutes earlier or three minutes earlier, that could be the difference. Um, So another thing I'm going to do is I'm going to shift this food plot over um, about 40 yards so right now the food plot, the open, you know, carpet of food starts almost right on very near to a property line. And there's cover on the property line, on the property line side, and then as soon as you go to where I can shoot, you're basically in the open. Um so what happens though is that these deer stand on the other side of the line in the cover for a little bit before they come into where I can shoot. Because, you know, they don't want to step out in the open until late sometimes, or at least the mature bucks do occasionally. Um, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to shift this food plot 40 yards in to tighter into the core of mine and take what used to be open field and now have that 40 yard swath become tall grass and brambles and weeds and stuff. 
something that hopefully they will feel comfortable standing and milling around in in daylight before they step out into the open of the food plot. So that might buy me two minutes on one night with Holyfield, or maybe that'll get them out there a couple minutes earlier. Um, or maybe a doe will come in, and then that's the doe that ends up pulling Holyfield across the line or whatever. So that's one small thing I'm going to do. Um, of course, I need to make sure the food plot's come in really well because, you know, like we talked about, the prop- this property – Again, it's 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 cover deficient. It has some good cover, but mainly the best cover is on the neighbors. So in order for me to really have a good chance at Holyfield, I have to encourage him to come over to my side. And the only way I've been able to do that is with these food plots. So they've got to be in there. You know, they've got to come in well, basically. So I, I've been trying to get them sprayed since I've been home. Had all sorts of debacles um, real quick. Two days ago, I went out to go spray the food plots. It finally stopped raining. I thought, okay, I can. it's been raining like over and over every day for a while now. So now the weeds are growing really tall in the food plots. I'm like, i got to get out there and spray it. So I go out to get on my ATV. The ATV is dead. So then I pushed the ATV out behind the house. I didn't have a jump pack, so I used my truck to jump the ATV, get that going, fill up the sprayer with stuff, drive out to the food plot, get ready to go do all this stuff, and then the sprayer won't work. So I'm like, what in the world? And I'm all frustrated. I'm like, I'm never going to get this stuff done. So I'm like, well, it must be a bad connection between the clamps on the battery down below. So I'm like, i got to turn off the ATV to mess with the battery down beneath it. So I turn off the ATV. I mess with the connections for the sprayer. And then I go to turn the ATV back on. And now the ATV won't start. So my four-wheeler didn't work. My sprayer didn't work. Um, and I was, like, stranded out there in the woods. So that was a real pain in the butt. I had to walk back, go to the truck drive to a store, buy a jump pack, come back, um, and still the sprayer wouldn't work. So I ended up having a buddy come over yesterday who had one. He helped me spray stuff. So the plots are sprayed, and now I just need to um, probably hit them one more time with spray in, like, July to keep the weeds down. And then in August, I'm going to have a friend help me out and get those planted for me, actually, since I'm not going to be – uh, I'm not going to be around to plant this year, so I'm I'm counting right. on a friend to to seed it for me. But hopefully, I'll have it all prepped and ready to go. Um, so that's what I'm doing from like a habitat standpoint is that kind of stuff, making sure the plots are high quality, making sure the plots are secluded, and making sure that maybe there's a few tweaks I can make so that deer will come in during daylight a little bit earlier during those those key time periods. Um, okay. Got a question? Yeah. Before you go any further, yeah, is Holyfield? Crossing a fence that is not on your property from the timber to, let's say, an ag field, walking a fence line, and then crossing that additional fence line into your property? Or is there a part of your border with the other property that is timber on, like, the your property butts right up against their timber? So you're saying, is, the, is it only timber to field, or is there timber to timber? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah, because your goal is to put a lot of cover on your property to where deer will feel com- comfortable coming out. And this is me uh, playing devil's advocate. But if he is going to be jumping a fence into a already cultivated ag field, is that going to do any good? So – And that's just – that's not me shitting on your idea. That's me, you know, brainstorming going, if the point is to make more cover and have them feel comfortable, if they have to expose themselves before they go back into cover, would do you feel that's going to work? 
So, so here's what I know. Um, so what I know is that he seems to bed the majority of his time in this adjacent section. And he does have to go there. So there's crop fields kind of surrounding it on two or three sides. Um, My little patch, though, provides what I think is the best, like, safe ice cream opportunity he has before he goes to his main meal in the big fields. So he can go directly off that little bedding area and feed in, like, corner bean fields next to it. But there are some other hunters that, you know, could deter him from doing that. Um, and then you also have to be out in the wide open. Um, he usually tends to go the direction towards me and it's just that he'll hang up. He'll be like staying in the cover before he comes out. Um, or he, I mean, he has come out into the open several times and I've seen him, but it's either when I'm not there or it's, you know, just at last light or, um, you know, it's in the late season. Late season is a different game. I want to kill him before late season. In the late season, it's a completely different story. He's daylight active like crazy, and he's super killable in the late season on my little section. He he throws caution to the wind. The last two years in a row, he's done the exact same thing. Um, so if if for some reason I can't kill him early, and somehow he has there's a miracle he makes it through gun season, and he's alive in December, it's like. He just he becomes a different deer, and he just hangs out in my food plots at noon or at two, and he's there like day after day after day. Um, and that's what I saw last year. You know, I, I hunted a couple times and didn't see him, but he was at the other food plot. And then I hunted one time, and he was there. That was the time, you know, that last day, and I said I was going to shoot him. And then after that, I stayed out, and then I looked at cameras, and he was there. You know, on the fifteenth at noon, the sixteenth at eleven, the seventeenth at four. I mean. So he does wonky things in December, but in October and November, he sticks to that cover pretty closely um, unless he's chasing a doe. So I just need him to to feel – I need the does to feel comfortable enough to come out by me, and I offer like the one unique thing in the area because there's corns and beans, corns and beans everywhere, beans everywhere. My thought process is that by offering – brassicas and oats it's that variety they want a little bit something different and so what usually happens here is that these deer come out of the cover they could go towards the corner bean fields but they almost always hit my food plot first and then transition out to the main fields after that so i just need holyfield to be part of that group of deer that hits my food plots first or the fowls of doe in um when i'm there so so that's that's what i'm trying to do i don't know if that answered your question but yeah yeah. So, I mean, hell, he could expose himself for a short period of time just to get into cover, and that would be a staging area before he actually comes into your food plot. On the neighbors, you're saying? No, on this, because you're moving a food plot 40 yards, right? Oh, right. So I'm, what I'm yeah. hoping what I'm hoping is that, yeah, he might stage in that little 40 yard. And it's not, you know, I'm not thinking this is going to buy me a lot of time, but maybe it's one night he comes out and he feels, you know, just a little bit more comfortable. So five minutes before the end of shooting light, he steps two steps into that tall grass and maybe last year he wouldn't have. And this year he takes three steps over to my side or whatever, and I can get a shot. You know, it it might not make a difference at all, but who knows? Maybe it'll make that little tiny bit I need. Um, Right. So I don't know, but, but to your point last year, it could have happened. You know, mm-hmm. he was, I, I was a full draw 40 yards right at last light, but that was a situation where it would have helped. Um, but the next day he came out in broad daylight 
and was in the crop field, the wide open crop field, and was walking along there, and something on the road spooked him. But if something, you know, if, if a car hadn't driven by or whatever, if that hadn't happened, he was walking down the edge of the field straight to me. Um, you know, so maybe there's a little bit of bad luck there. It, you know, it could have been completely different. He might have walked right through, been in front of me, and with an hour and a half of daylight left, I could have shot him. You just never know. Right. So maybe I'm going right. too far. Maybe I don't need to do this stuff, but I'm trying, trying to have yeah. these different things, like all these, um, oh, what's the word, like redundancies. So like yeah. if A doesn't work, I've got B, C, and D lined up, which should help me a little bit. And um, so I'm trying to stack all these different things. Maybe I won't need to have done all these things, but if I've got all these different things in my favor, that might be just enough. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm also just battling. This is a small property. There's hunters all around it, and it's very easy that, you know, someone else could shoot him. So I'm just trying to get every little tiny thing in my favor that he might prefer to spend that evening closer to me than not. Um, right. So... So that's, that's, that's what's going on there. So that's the habitat stuff. Um, you know, I'm, I'm tweaking some stands, like I'm going and I'm I'm improving the cover in a lot of my tree stands. Um, I'm going to add like some fake limbs, some real limbs. I'm like zip tie some limbs in some places where maybe I need more. I'm going to try to get like some fake Christmas tree limbs and put those up around the tree stand stuff like that. Um, just, especially there's some spots that get really exposed and the leaves come down. So if I'm still hunting them in the late season, I found last year, like I felt kind of hung out to dry in a couple spots. Um, I'm going to try to make sure that doesn't happen this year. Um, there was a location on one of those open fields where he did come out a couple times during the rut where he chased a doe, popped out along that field and fouled the edge down a little bit, which had surprised me. I didn't think he would do that, but he did. So I never had a stand over there. You, you might remember me talking about this last year, how there's that. Yep. And I ended up moving a stand and like did a hang and hunt there right in the edge and had Foreman, another one of the nice bucks um, that I'd been watching. He did come out. I could have shot him on the edge of that field. So, this is a spot where I want to put a permanent setup. <clears throat> so I'm going to hang a stand there. I'm going to improve a stand. Last year, there's another bedding area that's on the property I hunt that um, I hunted a couple times last year during the rut, and that's where I passed that buck I called Frazier, and I passed Foreman a couple times. I passed a bunch of like nice, like nice, like two or three year olds from Michigan. Um, that Holyfield didn't seem to use a lot. I didn't. I never saw him there. I got pictures of him there a couple times, but nothing like the other places. Um, but still, I want to try to improve this because it's a great bedding area. I do know bucks cruise through there. So as a kind of secondary place, I want to improve that tree stand setup, get better cover there. I'm going to add another stand about 100 yards north of there on the other side of the bedding area so I can hunt it with a slightly different wind. Um so it's all that kind of stuff. I want to fix my scrape trees. I put in those fake scrape trees in the food plots last year. Um, one of them I didn't bury deep enough. So partway through the season, it started like spinning in the wind or like it'd be angled at like a 45 degree angle instead of straight up. Yeah. So I'm just going to try to get those in more solid. I bought some 40 gallon like uh, yeah, I saw that. troughs. Yeah. And I'm yeah. going to put in some water holes. Again, like one tiny thing that maybe will get him to come within range. So I'm gonna put these water holes near a couple of my best stand sites for him. So they'll be they'll be the hopefully nice secluded tasty food plot. There's gonna be a scrape tree that maybe he'll want to come and sniff at. That maybe he'll stop at and give me a shot. There's gonna be a little water hole that maybe he'll stop at. So I'm just trying to have like all these little things. Like I'm just stacking every time any 
type of thing I can. Um, Did you happen to ch- uh, change? I know you changed some of the locations of your food plots. But have, did you change any shapes of your food plots? So no. Um, one of them I just – I don't – it's it's planted in a power line, so I don't have the ability to change it at all. And there's like there's yeah. there's like low watery spots on either side. So literally it's just a little patch of high ground in a power line, um, and I can't like cut trees or anything. So that is stuck there, but it's in a decent spot. It's been good. Um, the other one I can change a little bit, um, and then that's the one where I'm shifting it over 40 yards. And uh, and basically this food plot, I just posted a video actually kind of giving a tour of it. Basically there's – it was just like a short grassy field, and then like four years ago I went in there and, and carved out a little food plot in there, and then now I'm planting the screen around it. But basically it's kind of looks like a bow tie, I guess. Imagine there's a bow tie, and in the middle of that bow tie – you know, there's like that little circle in a bow tie. Um, there's a single oak tree right there. And I've got a tree standing in that single oak tree. And on one side of the bow tie, so you've, you know, it's kind of like a pie, piece of pie. Um, there's one piece of pie that sticks out to the north of that oak. And that is where I plant my strips of brassicas and oats. And then the south portion of that bow tie is a perennial clover plot. And these deer come out from the east and feed out into either one of those and typically they feed out to the north of me so i hunt it with a with a north wind or a northwest wind or something that blows my scent out back into this little finger timber that doesn't really get used by deer it's kind of open yeah um so that's that's kind of the setup that i've got right now any uh actual food plot change like what you're planning no I'm just uh, I just flip flop where the oats are and the brassicas so that I'm yeah. never planting the same thing in the in the same strip. Um, but basically, the, it, it just it just works so well. Like they hit those oats right. early in the season really hard, and they nibble a little bit in the brassicas, and then by the time I get to late season, they're hitting the, the brassicas really hard. So it gives me that full that full season attraction in the same place. Um, so gotcha. I, I've just been really happy with that and gonna stick to that. So that um. That's kind of the game plan on the Michigan farm. Just improving yeah. tree stand setups, adding some of these more little habitat manipulations. Um, I mean, uh, access is kind of kind of the same. I've got pretty good access. I just I can't hunt a lot of these places in the mornings um, because I've got to go through fields or different things like that. I've I've carved some trails out through like little fence rows, like the little cover I do have to go through. Um, it's not ideal, but it's the best I can get for like the rut. Um, but that's why in October I pretty much stay out. And so that kind of comes to my hunting plan. And I'm sure we'll talk about this more when we get to, um, when we get closer to the season. But right now, at least my tentative hunting plan is to try to basically to do what I said I was going to do last year, but I didn't, um, (laughs) which is hunting the first couple nights of the season, if conditions are good and then stay out. And not hunt it again until like October 23rd or 24th or 25th, whenever that weather hits. Because what's happened is, and this is from looking at previous, from my actual hunting sightings and trail cameras, both years, he shows up on my farm in September. So he summers somewhere nearby, but not right there. In September, loses his velvet, he shows up on the farm. He's very active on trail camera, um, and he shows up a little bit. He shows up in the daylight on these food plots and on trail camera in September and a little bit into early October. Like I think I 
Um, well, shoot, maybe not even October. Like September 30th, I saw him during daylight in 2015. But once I started hunting there, I didn't get daylight pictures and I wasn't seeing him in the open. I saw him a couple times, but it was back in the cover. Um, I didn't actually start seeing him during daylight and active on my side until October 24th in 2015. And then in 2016, October 25th. But both of those days, he came into the food plot and I could have shot him. Two years in a row, one day apart. Um, and then from that date on, he was very active through the rut up until gun season. So it's like that was the time frame when he started you know, showing up. So this year, if I don't kill him the first night or two, I'm just, even if I get like a long range sighting or something off, you know, in the cover, or even if I get one daylight picture of him, um, you know, if it's, if it's like days and days of daylight pictures or something really, really compelling, then maybe I'll go in there. But otherwise I think that I'm going to wait and not touch that property at all. I mean, I'm not going to check trail cameras. I'm not going to drive on it. I'm not going to do anything from like October one or two until like the 24th or whatever. And first day the conditions are good then i'm going to go in and then i'm going to hunt him hard from that period until early november because the last two years he was very active during that like 10 to 12 day window so that's so the game plan. so are you going to have a wireless camera out there to determine if he's even showing up or not yeah or you're gonna okay so you're gonna you're gonna be able to basically you know have that intel saying okay well he has it's it's uh you know october 1st or whenever your opening day is he he he's showing up at midnight for three days in a row you're are you gonna go out there and hunt him or are you gonna lay out off until he starts showing sign of closer to daylight activity so okay so the other thing to throw in here is that i can get up on a hill and observe this front food plot from a distance, from a long distance, from a safe place where deer aren't going to get spooked by me. So I will have, I think I'm going to buy another wireless trail camera and suck it up and pay for the fee. Um, I don't like it, but they're super handy in this kind of situation. So I'm going to try to have two wireless cameras out there, two different spots, and I'm going to be monitoring those. And then also for those days leading up to the season, if I can do it, which I, I think I can, um, for like the three days leading up to opening night, I'm going to be out on that hill watching this area and trying to see if he comes out and if he doesn't come out for the three days leading up to the season and there's not like some massive weather change that i think will make him come out and i'm not getting trail camera pictures of him close to daylight or something like that then no i'll scrap the early season hunt because i'm not going to go in there if i don't think there's a chance um but if i've got some pictures of him close to daylight or if i see him once or twice in late september coming out to feed or very close to it then i'm I'm going to strike and kill him early. Hopefully kill him early. I'm cheering for you, man. Thank you. Thank you, buddy. I, I hope it works out. And you know what? I'm just, I'm just trying to also, I'm going to, I'm putting in a ton of work. I'm going to put in a ton of work to try to kill this deer. I really want to kill this deer, but I'm also at the same time setting my expectations. Like I'm going to do everything I can to succeed, but I'm also setting my expectations that it might not very well, probably won't happen like there's a good chance he's going to get killed by someone else there's a good chance something's going to go wrong like i'm not going to be devastated if this doesn't work i'm just i don't want to like be miserable because someone else kills this deer um like i'm being i'm gonna be very bummed i'm it's gonna (laughs) it's gonna be a super bummer but i'm still gonna enjoy this hunting season no matter what happens and it's been like such an incredible learning experience past couple years um 
that even if it doesn't end the way I want it to, it's still been like one of the coolest hunts of my life. Um, so I, I, I'm trying now, maybe I'm going to say this and then when it all actually happens, I'm going to be a crankier old cuss and I'm not going to actually follow through on all of this, but, but hopefully I'm trying to set myself up mentally. So I'm not a nut job come October or November. That's, I mean, it's, it's almost one of those things where if you work really hard in the off season, you don't even need to give yourself an expectation. You just need to follow, continue following through with the plan you've already set. So you don't need to give yourself an expectation. What I mean by that is you, you are, you're just, you're just following a plan at that point. And your plan is either going to succeed or it's going to fail. And whatever happens, you know, is, is not, because of anything that you did or didn't do preseason, it's because he decided not to come out or the wind shifted or whatever. It's not on you. It's on, you know, a roll of the dice at that point. Yeah. And there's, and there's so much out of my hands, right? I mean, that's, that's hunting. It's, it's 99% out of our hands, but what I hope, what I want to have is I want to enter this season knowing regardless of the outcome that like I did that this year, more than any other year, I've done everything I possibly can do to make this happen. Like I have, I have so many things going in my favor as compared to past hunting season. I have so much information. I have so many encounters. I've got so many lessons learned to apply to this year. I don't want to not take advantage of that. So I hope that I can at least sit here at the end of the season next year or this year and say, dang it, it didn't go my way, but I feel 100% comfortable the fact that I did everything I could I put in all the work I did all the things I said I should do I followed through on it and yeah it just didn't work out or yeah the neighbor shot him and it is what it is but at least I know like I did everything I could to try to set up that perfect hunt and I think if I can do that I'll I'll still feel pretty pretty good because um like we were saying earlier I mean seeing where I am today compared to where I was 10 years ago as a deer hunter and the things I'm thinking about and the things I'm doing um it's, it's, it's encouraging to me. Like if I can pat myself on my back, on my own back, like, um, I'm, I'm proud that I've, that I've evolved and, and doing these things now. And I, I'm hoping I can follow through on that as I guess what I'm saying. <laughs> you know, after all this conversation that we've just had, you're probably going to shoot him on the very first hunt of the entire season. <laughs> and I would be so happy <laughs> I, because, Hey, if I shoot that buck, I mean that's yeah. that's amazing. And then I still can hunt public land in Michigan. Yep. I have still got my spot in Ohio that has been kind of on the back burner because I've been so focused on Michigan lately. But that spot's great and it can can be great. Yeah. Um, and I think I'm gonna apply for my Iowa tag now since I'm not going. Assuming I'm not going to Alaska, I'm probably gonna apply for my Iowa tag. I'll probably get that, and that's gonna be a whole another challenge because I, I still have permission on that same place I hunted two years ago. But, and it was great. Like I saw a lot of nice deer, but I also had like, like two out of all, every three hunts was messed up by another hunter. So yeah, my goal this year is how can I get away from that hunting pressure or like deal with that hunting pressure better? Um, I've got some ideas there that I've been, when I went, I went shed hunting there and I scouted some more and I figured some stuff out. So I feel good about a couple of little secret spots I might've found, but unfortunately the honey hole I had there last time, the one spot I found last time that was away from the hunters looks like the hunters found it because there's like a bunch of tree stands all over it. So that'll be another challenge. And then, uh, 
And then I'm going to do the whole early season Western trip again. I'm going to do Montana and maybe hit North Dakota or Wyoming after that if I fill my Montana tag. Yeah. So I got a full slate, and uh, we'll Busy. see what happens. Yeah. I'm excited. I'm just I'm I, so pumped. Yeah, I'm pretty jacked for this season too. I uh, I don't know. I don't know. I guess I'm, I'm excited, but I'm not f- – like right now, I'm I'm excited. I'm jacked up. I'm getting ready to put out trail cams and you know velvet rut, all that stuff. But it's not like up front as it has been in the past. It's it's kind of in the back burner still, as far as my excitement level is the same. But I'm not thinking about it as much, if that makes sense. Is that because of like family stuff life. or just just other things? Life, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, my life is on overdrive right now, and. Just trying to keep up and, you know, maintain and, I don't know, enjoy enjoy these times. Enjoy right now, you know, and not, yeah. you know, not not try to enjoy, you know, like I think a lot of a lot of times in the past I've, I've had one of these experiences where I put so much on the actual event of hunting that I don't enjoy – everything else that is going on, you know, whether that's checking trail cameras, putting out minerals, setting tree stands, all that stuff's fun. But, you know, it should be in my eyes, I I feel it should kind of be equal. Yeah, Uh, it it should there shouldn't be. And then now that I have kids, and uh, they're awesome to hang out with their assholes at times, but they're awesome to (laughs) hang out. They're awesome to hang out with and enjoy the time that I have with them as well. And then when the new kid comes, I'm going to, you know, be busy that first month and well for the rest of my life actually. But, uh, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like enjoy the moment and not put so not put such high expectations on one particular part of, of the, of the year, if that makes sense. It totally makes sense. It's like we have to enjoy the process because right. that's, that's one of the really cool things about, you know, being a serious deer hunter, serious, mature buck hunter is that there is stuff that we're doing all year round. I mean, you and me literally come on this stupid podcast every week all darn year and talk about deer. And there's yep. something going on at that time of year related to deer. Like that's pretty darn cool. Um so enjoy that. We got to enjoy the process. Enjoy the days when you're going to be out there sweating, hanging your tree stands um because you know, like you said, it's it's all part of it. And uh yeah. To your point, I think every year I think I'm getting better. I'm def- I'm pretty sure I'm getting better at this. I'm I'm getting better at not letting my like mental state and enjoy enjoyment of hunting be dictated by like am I killing a deer? Did I kill right. a deer? Um right. you know, it's it's enjoying the process. And last year for a while with Holyfield like from October tw- yeah, for the first like month and a half of deer season when I was chasing Holyfield and like it just it was always just a little bit off or whatever like i i i found myself occasionally getting frustrated like Ugh, another night didn't kill him another night didn't kill him and i got a little bit too caught up in it um yeah. and then gun season happened and i don't even know if i ever talked about this but gun season happened and you know i thought we we talked about this part i thought he got killed i kind of started like giving up on the idea that he might be still around but then also at that same time like late november my wife kind of gave me an intervention um, and she kind of like just kind of read me the riot act about how like I was not being present. Um, so I, I didn't travel as much to deer hunt last year during the season. Like I didn't go to Iowa or anything. I just, I was hunting Michigan most of the hunting season. And then I just hunted Ohio for like five days and then I filled my tag in Ohio and then I was back. So like, I wasn't gone 
as much as I have been like two years ago yeah. or other years. So I was like, Kylie, I've been here like all the time. How can like what's wrong? I've been hunting. Or, I mean, I've been here hunting Michigan, but I'm here. But she's like, yeah, you're, you've been physically here, but like you're not like you're not mentally here, or you're not like you're not a part of this thing. Like you're just kind of your body's here, but you're constantly elsewhere thinking about the stuff, or you're constantly doing these things, and that kind of like regrounded me a little bit. Like I can't let this consume me 100%. Um, it's a terrific activity. It's a great passion. It is how I make my living too. So of course it's going to be a big part of my life, but at the same time, you know, you got to make sure that you're present for everything else mentally, emotionally, physically, of course, too. Um, and that was kind of a good reset for me at the end of the year or end of November. And then from then on, and again, this might've influenced my decision a little bit. I I kind of like was like, you know, yeah, Killing Holyfield is not like going to make or break my life. Like if this hunt doesn't go the way I want it to, that's okay. Um, And I need to like pull back. I need to, I feel like I'm always adjusting the volume on my hunting obsession or whatever. And it's, it's always usually 11, but sometimes like I need to, (laughs) sometimes you got to turn it down to 10 every once in a while. Um, Or, or maybe that's your expectations. Maybe that's how much time you spend in the woods. Maybe that's, maybe that's whatever. Um, but I think and I hope that uh, I'm in a place now this year where, yeah, I'm doing a ton. I'm going to be spending a lot of time out there. I'm going to be very invested in it. But at the same time, I'm I'm not going to forget the other really important things in my life and, um, you know, enjoy it all. Enjoy the process. Enjoy family and friends and everything else that life has to give. And, um, and hunting fits in there a lot better as as a as a compliment to all those things, not as yep. like something that squashes everything else out. Right. Right. It's a big, I mean, it's a big part of who we are, but, uh, it definitely has to take a back seat when it comes to like, for me, family and I, and my wife has to remind me every once in a while, you know, you know, cause I, I always pull this, this act when it's time to start hunting and it's like, well, I told you when we got married that, uh, um, this is, I'm going to be hunting and I'm going to be doing this. And, you know, and she's like, well, uh, you have children now and you have other responsibilities outside of, you know, which <laughs> I'll put it to you this way. If I wasn't doing the podcast on, on the nine finger podcast or doing this podcast, I would get, I would get less dramatic, dramatically less hunting time than what I'm given, uh, th- you know, now. So, um, no podcast, no, like I probably only get like a week to be honest with you. Uh, dude. Yeah. Week, maybe, maybe two, but it's like a bell curve. But when I was single, I was hunting a lot when I, and that goes down when you get married a little bit and then you start having kids and then like next year and the year after we'll probably be at an all time low. Then, then as the kids start to grow up and they become independent and they need less supervision and and mom can do her thing without having to be, you know, watch them 24 hours a day, that's going to go all the way up, back up again. So like when I'm in my mid forties, you know, fifties, I can start going and hunting again because my kids won't need all that attention. They might be in some activities, but I'll be able to dedicate a lot. I, I, I won't need to help out in the father realm as much, you know, I'll be able to be away a little more. Right. Right. I just hope that I just hope that your wife this year will let you hunt more than once between November 4th and January 8th. <laughs> I'm gonna, <laughs> just not going to comment on any of that. I just think it's best I'm just going <laughs> to. Like, we'll see what happens. Yeah. I, I mean, have you ever thought about, like, um, 
like setting aside a little fund, like take 20 bucks out of every one of your paychecks for the whole year and have a little babysitting fund that you save for like hunting season stuff so that, hey, honey, I am going to hunt, you know, like two days or like I'm going to hunt, I'm going to do a long weekend this week and a long weekend that week or whatever. So you're going to hunt throughout the season, but hey, I'm going to pay for a babysitter one of those nights or a full day for you because I you need your time too, honey, um, you know, and have something like that that might help her so that she feels more comfortable with you going occasionally and doing this stuff? Absolutely. And uh, I'll be completely honest with you. Uh, some of the money that, you know, you make money from your, you know, your partners. I make money from my partners on the podcast and whatnot. And, uh, some of that money is going to go to a babysitter, uh, during the rut and they're going to come to the house and they're going to play father, I guess. <laughs> I guess we, this, this all rings a bell for me now. We, you and me did talk about this. I can't remember if yeah. it was, if it was just us personally or on the podcast, but yeah, I think that's a great, a great idea. And it's going to, I'm going to pay them cash and I'm going to make it an offer to where for two weeks, instead of going to their part-time job, they're going to get paid cash with no taxes. It's going to end up being more than they, what they would get uh, net from their other job. And I'm just going to say, Hey, show up, do some, you know, do some laundry, help feed my kids, uh, rock my baby, maybe let my wife step away from the house for a little bit. Um, but it's going to, give, let, give her a little freedom and then I'll, I'll pay you, I'll pay you handsomely because like for a college kid, man, cash is king. They, they'd do anything for that. Heck yeah. I think it's a, I think it's a good idea. Um, because I mean, you don't want to put her in a tough spot, but at the same time, you know, you've got, you, you have your thing. And I feel like, I feel like with, um, you know, for example, with Kylie, my wife, and she has a pretty good understanding. I'm very fortunate that she's got a pretty good understanding of this. But she knows that this is a this is such an important thing in my life and a part of who yeah. I am. Like if I couldn't do this and if I wasn't able to 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 engage in these different things, I wouldn't be the the husband and the person like she knows and loves. Um yeah. you know, I wouldn't be a happy person. I wouldn't be a fulfilled person. And I couldn't be a good husband or a good dad without this as part of my life too. Um, without some separate things, you know, so there's like, there's us time and then there's, there's Mark time and there's Mark things and there's us things. And, um, you got to have a balance between those two. Um, and I'm sure that there will be a refiguring of those balance when there's kids in the equation too, but, um, it's, it is a balance. That's a fact, Jack. So, well, we have... I think last I checked, it's either 129 days or 130 days till opening day of bow season for you in Iowa and me in Michigan. Yeah. So we just discussed a lot of work we've got to do. I'm yep. sure there's going to be a lot, many more things that are going to come up in between now and then. But um, let's do the work, Dan, and let's enjoy the process and uh, let's have a good hunting season. You got to grind, man. That's if You got to grind. Yeah. It's the truth, especially you, man. If you're doing all day sits this year, you got to grind it out. Bring some, bring some icy hot for your knees. Um, buy those. <laughs> That's exactly what I need. Icy hot floating around the timber. Yeah, and get like the big like sling seats or whatever, like the old man tree stands, so you can like lay back in the recliner. Um, do whatever it takes, Dan. Whatever it takes. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> All right, man. Well, I think this is a good place for us to wrap it up. And uh, any final thoughts before we go? Um, 
no man, I guess from a, from a conservation standpoint, be sure to, you know, you, you've mentioned this every once in a while, uh, you know, sign up for, sign up for a conservation group, whether that's the, the QDMA or it's the, uh, um, national deer Alliance, make sure you guys are, um, being informed, uh, getting educated on what it is that you actually love your passion. And I think that by doing so you can be an active member of, uh, of your passion and, and help, uh, you know, take part a little bit more than just saying, I love deer hunting. I agree 100%. We've got to give back. And, uh, man, there's, there's always someone or something that's trying to take that opportunity away or damage the resource or the place and the landscape. And, uh, if, uh, if we don't stand up and protect these things and places, no one else will. So, amen. All right, buddy. Well, this has been fun and, uh, let's shut this one down. All right. And a couple quick updates before we go though. First off, like I mentioned earlier, the Holyfield film is now online, so please go check that out. And if you like it, share it with some of your hunting buddies. You can watch the film over at wiredtohunt.com or the Wired to Hunt Facebook page or the Wired to Hunt YouTube channel. And speaking of YouTube, if you could, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel because I'm getting some new episodes of our weekly video blog started over there again too, so you'll want to check those out. The film is called Until Next Year Holyfield, so if you can't find it online otherwise, you can at least search for that title somewhere. I also wanted to give another plug for all of you to connect with us via social media. By looking at the numbers, I know there are many of you listening to this episode that are not plugged in with us online through social yet. So we got to change that. I think you're missing out if you don't. So get over to Instagram and follow me at wired to hunt You can search for wired to hunt on Facebook and like us there. And you can follow us at wired to hunt on Twitter as well. That's going to allow you to see photos and blog posts and videos and more content related to the things we talk about here every week. So check us out there. And with that out of the way, I also want to give a big shout out to our partners who make this podcast possible. Big thanks to Sitka Gear, Yeti Coolers, Matthews Archery, Maven Optics, Whitetail Institute of North America, Trophy Ridge, and Huntera Maps. These are some great companies that make products that I really enjoy and believe in. So check them out. And finally, thank you all for listening. I hope you're as fired up as I am to get working this summer prepping for deer season, and I hope you'll stay wired to hunt. Hey, if you guys like to cook outdoors and you ought to, you should check out the Weber Slate rust-resistant griddle. So this is a carbon steel cooktop that's safe for metal tools. It's pre-seasoned with food-safe oils and ready to cook on right out of the box. It's the griddle that stays ready, not rusty. This griddle heats evenly edge to edge, reaching all the way up to 500 degrees. Get fired up for your new Weber Slate rust-resistant griddle. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase.